Hello, and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of DeRitter, Louisiana, recorded at our 10 o'clock service on Sunday, January 21st, 2018. Our text for the morning is Mark 1, verses 14 through 20, which are as follows. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I don't remember if it was the fall of 2000 or the winter of 2001. But Aaron and I were just engaged. We were in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury Seminary doing our graduate work, 15 miles south of Lexington. I don't remember when it was the first time, but I think we hit every paper supply store in Lexington looking at wedding invitations. My beautiful bride-to-be. I was, I, by the time we got to the third invitation binder, I was, I, they had all blurred together. I didn't care at that point. I didn't care. But I didn't tell her I didn't care because I was trying to be the modern groom who took an interest in everything. And oh, I'm going to pay a price for this story when I get home. But we finally... And I say we because we're all inclusive here. We finally decided on an invitation that we liked. Now, was it just the one I quit complaining about that you went with? Is that what it was? She thinks so. 17 years later, her brain's a little fuzzy. But we thought we had the invitation picked out. And then I know it was the winter of 2001. We're fixing to place the order. And she gives me that look that only a fiancé or or a spouse can give you. Well, I've been thinking. Oh, dear Lord. And that's when I started giving me the wisdom to know the difference. But I was informed. Notice I use that phrase. I was informed that the wedding invitation was not the one we were going to be using because she didn't really like it. I would like to stand up here and tell you I was calm and peaceful and smooth and, okay, baby, whatever you want. But I was thinking about all that time and energy that at the time I felt was wasted, but I realized it was just weekend time with you. But I was thinking of it as wasted time because we drove all over Lexington. I think I still have scars from the paper cuts looking at all those invitations. And what I learned then was something that you can only learn as you go along. Things will change. You think you have things figured out, and things will change. And one of the things that I think is causing so much anxiety in our world today, so much anxiety in the church universal, so much anxiety in Christian communities, so much anxiety in our political world, so much anxiety in our economics, so much anxiety everywhere, is let's face it, the world is Methodist. Nobody likes change. Okay? That's why we have the most open 
basic mainline theology of any mainline denomination, because we don't like change. And yet that doesn't fly, that doesn't fly when you look at the Christ that we serve. How many of you don't like change? How many of you, keep your hands up if you're still a follower of Christ and you don't like change. Hold on to that because we're going to talk in about 15 minutes. Because I want to take you back to something that's very important. We're in the third of our New Year's worship series, Be It Therefore Resolved. Believes and truths that can transform your life in the new year. And today, Tanya did a masterful job of reading Mark's account of the calling of the first disciples. And these guys were going about doing their thing every day. They were going out and making their living for themselves and their families. They were involved in their communities. They had their lives set. They were just blue-collar people doing blue-collar work in the blue waters of Israel. And then this strange man comes along and tells them things are going to change. He comes along and has the audacity to tell them that what they're doing and how they've been looking at life must change. As Tanya said, you know, after John was arrested, John was a troublemaker himself. John the Baptist, the one that went to prepare the way for Jesus. You know, Jesus himself came in and said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And Mark goes on and talks about Jesus passing along Galilee, seeing Simon and Andrew. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Jesus did not come into their lives <clears throat> and say, Simon, Andrew, it's all good, just keep doing what you're doing. <clears throat> Jesus looked at them and said, I have something different for you to do. I have something different, far more important, far more impactful. <clears throat> But Jesus, when he encountered them, did not leave them where they were. <clears throat> That's the first thing we must realize in today's lesson, is that Jesus does not leave us in the status quo. Jesus does not leave us in the status quo. Whenever Christ arrives in our lives, or as good Westlands, we would say, whenever we awaken to the grace of God in Christ that is already within us by the fact that we draw breath, the prevenient grace, when we wake up to the presence of Christ in our lives, things will change. Now for Simon and for Andrew, their, profession, their, their entire world changed. They packed up what they were doing, and they went down a whole different path. Sometimes that may happen with us. <clears throat> Sometimes it may involve a complete change of scenery. But 100% of the time, whether it involves a change of scenery, whether it involves a change of profession, it does involve a change of perspective. The why we do what we do 
changes when we awaken in Christ. <clears throat> One of the biggest challenges for Christians is that as followers of Christ, as members of the community of faith, as members of a church, as a member of the kingdom of God, and we are no longer telling our story, but we are telling God's. Our desires are set aside for, as Paul would remind us, it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who is within us. So even though you circumstances may change, your motivation changes. Instead of working for yourself, instead of working for your goals, instead of working for your desires, instead of working for your outcomes, instead of working for your ego, you work for the glory of God. And the difference in that comes in the idea that let's take the ubiquitous widget maker. A widget maker standing on a line <coughs> programming the robot to do the work to make that widget. Prior to Christ being a part of their life, prior to accepting God's grace, the widget maker may say, well, you know what? I got up. I, sweat. I had the sweat of my brow. I worked for the education. I worked the jobs. I did the training. I did all of this, and my ability to make the widget is a result of what I do. The widget maker, after awaking to the grace of God or Christ, says, all that I have and all that I am is a result of nothing more and nothing less than God's grace at work within me. It was God's grace that gave me the ability to wake up. It was God's grace that gave me the ability to do this work. It was God's grace that gave me a brain. It was God's grace that gave me motivation. And that is why when we look at the calling of the disciples, we are reminded that whether it is physical and tangible like Simon and Andrew experienced, or whether it's just a change of perspective, as Christians, we know that encountering, embracing, and living in the grace of God in Christ means we are not left in the status quo. And that has vast implications for every aspect of our life. But you notice this. He goes on and he says, after he calls Simon and Andrew, and Jesus said, follow them, the next thing that Mark records is the following. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Sometimes we kill our faith, we kill our souls, we kill our lives, we kill our families because we're unwilling to let go. We're unwilling to make that change. We think that because we don't know what's coming next, we have to hold on to what is now, not realizing <clears throat> that sometimes letting go of now is what has to happen to embrace the future. Foresee the back half of the story about our wedding invitations. And I am recording this sermon, and it will go on our website later this week. <clears throat> and I probably won't edit this part out, is Aaron was right. Let me say that again. Aaron was right. 
Y'all are looking at me like, yeah, huh? I mean, this ain't news. You were right, sweetheart. I was wrong. Okay? But I was so done with the task that I was looking at it as, oh God, here we go again. I got to go back and look at more binders and I got to look at more wedding invitations. Instead of looking at it as, oh boy, I have another Saturday in the midst of taking 12 hours of graduate credit, working 20 hours, doing eight hours of field work, instead of embracing a Saturday to go hang out with my beloved running around Great Circle Road in Lexington, Kentucky, I was mad about having to do something we had already fixed and had already done. I had the wrong perspective. I was not letting go of what was now to embrace what was coming. I didn't allow for the possibility that by letting go of now, something better could be coming on. Let me ask you this. What is it that you're holding on to that's keeping you from experiencing something greater? I tell people often I was born 30 to 40 years too late, the way that I look at the world in so many different perspectives. I know I was born 30 to 40 years too late. And yet... How much do we miss in our families? How much do we miss in our work? How much do we miss in our church? How much do we miss in our community? How much do we miss in our world? Because we're afraid to let go of now to embrace what is to come. How often are our souls paralyzed? How often are our relationships frazzled? How often are our tempers shorted? Because we're so desperately affixed to the now that we can't look at what is to come. I'm not sure the disciples were Methodists because I'm not sure they would have let go because they would have held on. And yet if you go throughout Scripture... If you go throughout Scripture, old and new, when did God do, when did we see the most transformative work that God did? It's when the people of God let go of the now to embrace the what can be. How different would our story be right now if the disciples hadn't let go of now? Because see, here's the thing, once again, friends, when we accept and we awaken to the grace of God at work in our lives, things will change. Things will change. You can fight it all you want, but things are going to change. After all, do we have anybody in here that was born before 1930? Do we have anybody who was born before 1935? Because here's the deal. If you know people who were born before 30 or 35, the first hymn we sang today was written in 1930. Did not appear in a hymnal until a few years later. Would have been a newer song that if you didn't like change, you'd have been like, well, why are we singing this new hymn when the book's full of plenty of good stuff? And yet, there it is. Imagine the artwork. Imagine the fact that we wouldn't be in this building at all 
if we didn't let go of the now. The courthouse would not be standing there because we would still be there because that's the first place this church was established was over there. And yet, the people that led us before in this church let go of the now to embrace what could be. What would our lives look like if we accepted the reality that things will change? And finally, we see that Jesus went a little further, saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So the last thing we better remember is that Jesus does not call us to follow him in isolation, but in community. Go back and read the Gospels. Read the stories of Jesus calling people. He called them to community. Even I wasn't always as tall as I am now. Zacchaeus was my favorite Bible character when I was a little boy because I was one of the shorter kids in the class at the time. Not like I am now, okay? But you don't have to laugh at everything. But Zacchaeus was my man because what was the Bible school? What, was, what did we say in Bible school? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, right? Some of y'all remember that. And every time we say I saw in Bible school, Zacchaeus was my man. And Zacchaeus said, I'm, or Jesus said, I'm coming to your house for supper. And there was a party. Go back and read the Gospels and see when the friends of the paralytic lowered the guy into the roof. In, in the underneath. Go back and look at when Jesus called people. He called them to community, not to isolation. That's why you notice in the vows of membership of the United Methodist Church, the first vow we take is a ministry of prayer. But the second vow is a ministry of presence. Because there is absolutely zero way that we can have an authentic biblical faith rooted in Christ if we are not a part of the regular worshiping community of God in Christ. It's the reason why we worship every week. It's the reason why we have Bible studies. It's the reason why we have Sunday school. It's the reason why we have mission projects. It's the reason why we have outreach. It's the reason why we do these things. It's because we are not called to isolation. We are called to community. And what's really funny and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this subject because I'm already going to pay a high enough price. Had I consulted with some of my friends in the community, they would have told me, don't argue with her about the wedding invitation. My only job there was to drive and to swipe the credit card. That was it. That was the only two things I had to do, right, Aaron? That was the only two things I had to do. But because I had all the answers at that point... How many times have we made mistakes because we thought we were in it on our own? And how many times have we ignored the wisdom of a community because we thought that it's all about us? My friends, be it resolved as disciples of Christ, as members of the community of faith, as ones who are no longer telling their own story but telling God's story, things will change. And that's okay. Things will change because we're not called to the status quo. 
We're not called to the status quo. We are not called to isolation. We're called to community. And we must be willing to let go of the now so Christ can do what's next. Thank you for listening to this podcast of First United Methodist Church of DeRitter, Louisiana. You may find out more about us at fumcderitter.org.